looking at an incredible story that teaches us the power of our words in the face of the most devastating realities in life. This message is the eighth in the series, Rudders and Roots. The message is entitled, Speaking Life, Part Two. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Go ahead and grab your Bibles, if you will, your, your, your teaching sheets as we turn our attention to this continuing series of messages we're involved in called Change Your Words and Change Your Life. We're talking today about speaking life. I talked a bit about this last weekend. I want to continue on that same theme. Your words are extremely important. Your words are powerful. The Bible says that the power of life and death is in your tongue. And so we're talking about how to adjust our language. How do we learn to speak blessing in our life? How do we learn to adjust our words so that they agree with God? Because when you and I learn to speak the language of heaven, everything changes. Through the language of heaven, we actually bring heaven into our world. As I've illustrated before, many times in your life experience, you perhaps have had an interaction with another person, and before long, the, the, the interaction goes south, it goes very, uh, in a, to a very painful place because of the words that are spoken, and you actually bring a bit of hell into that relationship just by the words that you speak. And then perhaps on the other side of that, there have been times that you brought heaven in by just speaking calming words to another person. So your words have tremendous power. Even in your personal life, your words can have an impact on your destiny, on your future. If you're walking around always saying, I can't do this, this is too hard, I'll never accomplish this, those kind of words get in the way of God's work in your life. And so we want to adjust our words so they agree with God. And there's no area of our life where we need to make adjustments more than when it comes to dealing with times of difficulty and times of challenge. I think most of the time when we're going through the good things of life, it's fairly easy to thank God and to be appreciative of our blessings. But when you and I go through what I would call devastating realities and difficult circumstances, it's extremely important and challenging to be able to adjust our language in the right way, to make sure that we're speaking words that, uh, that provide opportunity for God to work in our circumstances. In the book of Ezekiel, chapter 37, we have the story of one of God's prophets, and he was facing a time of tremendous difficulty, and we see how his words made a difference. I want to read for you the first 10 verses of Ezekiel, chapter 37, uh, and I want you to just listen closely to the impact of the words of Ezekiel that God instructs him to speak in this devastating circumstance. The hand of the Lord was on me, Ezekiel says, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. Let's stop here for a moment and understand what's happening. Ezekiel has this, this vision given to him by God, and he sees this valley. Uh, and it's full of bones. The bones are scattered all over the place, randomly placed in different aspects of that valley. And they're all very dry. They've been sun-baked, baked by the Middle Eastern sun, and completely decimated. So he's looking at this very devastating circumstances, bones everywhere. Verse 3, he, God, asked me, son of man, can these bones live? So now God poses a question to Ezekiel. Son of man, Ezekiel, do you think these bones can ever live? Can they come back to life again? Obviously, it seems like an impossibility, but God is posing this question. I said, Ezekiel said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, notice this, prophesy or speak my word, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. So now the prophet is instructed to, to speak certain words to these bones. 
This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied, I spoke God's word as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, as I was speaking God's word, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together bone to bone. I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy, or again, speak my word, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come, come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied, I spoke God's word as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Now, to understand this passage, I need to take you back a little bit in history. We gave, it, gave you a bit of this last weekend. Let me remind you of what's going on here so you understand what was happening with Ezekiel. When God established his nation and they had their first sequence of kings, they have a king. The first king was a man by the name of Saul, and he ruled for 40 years in Israel. And then after Saul died, David became the king of Israel. And then after David reigned for 40 years, Solomon became the king of Israel, and he reigned for 40 years. So the first three kings of Israel account for 120 years of the existence of what we call the unified nation of Israel. So they're all one nation, completely unified under the rulership of Saul, David, and Solomon. When Solomon died, something happened. Solomon had a son by the name of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam was, was kind of a, an unwise guy. He, 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 when he took over the leadership of Israel, he said, I'm going to make life very difficult. He didn't listen to good advice. And so because he was a, a very difficult kind of mean-minded man, what happened was another gentleman who had been a part of Solomon's administration, his name was Jeroboam, he rose up against Rehoboam, and they have a civil war. There's a, there's a fight that happens for the kingdom. And as a result of that fight between Rehoboam, Solomon's son, and Jeroboam, who had been in the administration of the king Solomon, because of that fight, the nation was torn in two. And so Jeroboam became the king of the northern kingdom of Israel, ten tribes to the north, and and Rehoboam was then the king of the southern kingdom, which consisted of two tribes, uh, the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin. But it's a divided nation now. Two tribes to the south, ten tribes to the north. Jeroboam, although he, was, he, although he had served in Solomon's administration, he was a very idolatrous man. And so as he goes into the north, he begins to draw people away from God and gets involved in idolatry and all kinds of things and builds altars to other gods. And over a period of time, the sequence of kings follow in the ways of Jeroboam. And what eventually happens is that God sends prophet after prophet warning them of their, their idolatry and telling them, if you don't turn around, you're going to be in trouble. I'm going to allow the Assyrians to come down and capture you. And eventually what happened was the Assyrians came in and captured the northern kingdom, the ten tribes to the north, and they dispersed them all over the place. I mean, just spread them out so they would weaken them as a people. So now there is no more northern kingdom. The southern kingdom of Judah continues, though, for about 125 years after this, even after the northern kingdom had been dispersed. And so the southern kingdom is continuing with a sequence of kings. But they're now following and falling into idolatry as well, and God warns them over and over again, if you don't change, you're going to experience the same thing the northern kingdom did, although it's not going to be Assyria, it's going to be Babylon that will come in. So eventually, that's exactly what happened. 
a king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. If you've studied world history, you will recognize that name. Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon comes down into the southern kingdom of Judah. And in, in the first invasion, he takes about 10,000 people back into Babylon to begin to disperse them as well. And one of those individuals that was taken back in that first, that first wave of people taken by Nebuchadnezzar was a man by the name of Ezekiel, one of God's prophets. So now he's living in Babylon but he loves God. He's a servant of Jehovah God, but he's living in Babylon as a prophet now. About 11 years later, Nebuchadnezzar comes back in to Jerusalem and ransacks the city and, tear, and just burns it down, tears up the temple, and takes all those uh, that were left there captive as well. And so by the time this happens, uh, there is no more Israel. The northern kingdoms have been dispersed by Assyria. The southern kingdom has been dispersed by Babylon. And Israel does not exist as a nation any longer. It's, it's done with. All the people are scattered all over the place. So here's Ezekiel up in Babylon. He's thinking about this. And God gives him this vision. And he shows him this valley full of dry bones, which represented to Ezekiel the tribes of Israel that had been broken apart, the tribes of Israel that had been spread out and had died. There was no more country. There was no more Israel that existed. He was grieving over the fact that there was no more Israel. And God speaks to him as he looks at all these bones in this valley, in this vision. And God says, son of man, Ezekiel, can these bones, this nation, can it come back to life again? Can it ever be resurrected? Because he thought of Israel as being dead. Ezekiel said, Sovereign Lord, only you know. I, I, I don't know, only you know. And it was in that moment that God said, here's what I want you to do, Ezekiel. I want you to begin to prophesy to these bones. And of course, as he does, there's the rattling of the bones. They start coming back together and flesh and tendons begin to appear and skin appears. And then he prophesies to the wind and the breath comes into these bones and that which was dead comes back to life again. And God is showing Ezekiel that the nation of Israel is not finished, that God will resurrect what is dead. And aren't you glad that as we look in the world today, Israel still exist as a nation. Why? Because God did what he said he was going to do, okay? But the real story here is the fact that God is able to take dead things and bring them back to life. That's the real story I want you to get. That's the application for you and me. And for all of us here today, your life, my life, all of us have dead areas. The Bible says that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And so because we live in a broken world, because we commit sin, because we're affected by the sin of people around us, there are places that, that are dead in our lives. Maybe there's some dead hopes that you have in your life. You had once hoped for something and that hope is dead. Maybe there's a, you, you feel like you're on a dead-end road. You've kind of fall, fall, fallen down a pathway that's leading you nowhere. Maybe there's a dead relationship. Maybe you have a dead marriage. Maybe there's deadness written over your finances. It feels like you'll never get out of debt again. It seems as though you're in that terrible place. In our lives, we all have areas that D-E-A-D -E is written across that area of our life. And what we need to recognize today is that God wants us to change our vision from that which is dead to the possibility of that which He can bring to life again. We talked about that last weekend, the value of seeing what is dead, acknowledging what is dead, but not stopping there, realizing that, yes, it's dead, but even though it's dead, it can come back to life, focusing our attention in a new direction. And today I'm going to share with you three things that will help us down that journey, continuing down that journey of seeing God resurrect things in our lives, because all of us have some dead things that need to be resurrected. And the first thing I want to share with you today is this, to experience resurrection power, we need to engage our words in the process. 
There's some words that God wants you to begin to speak over the dead areas of your life where you will begin to engage your words in the process of resurrection. See, after Ezekiel responded to God's question, God asked him, Ezekiel, can these bones live? And Ezekiel responded, oh, sovereign Lord, only you know. It was after that that God began to give Ezekiel a set of instructions. Notice verse number four of Ezekiel 37 again. Here are the words, the instructions given. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say, to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Notice two statements there, prophesy and say. Would you repeat those two with me? Prophesy and say. Once again, prophesy and say. There were instructions given to Ezekiel. I want you to prophesy and I want you to say something to these bones. Prophesy means to speak forth, to declare, to proclaim God's word. It means to call something into existence, to call something into being under the direction and influence of the Holy Spirit's prompting. That's what a prophecy is. It is God speaking something forth, speaking forth his word. And God told Ezekiel, I want you to Speak forth my word over these bones and begin to articulate, say something to them. I want you to change your language. Instead of saying they're dead, I want you to speak life into them. I want you to learn the language of heaven. Now think about how ridiculous this would seem in the natural to talk to a bunch of dead bones. I mean, they're dead. They've been scorched by the sun. There's no hope from a human perspective of them coming back to life again. And Ezekiel was told to start talking to dead bones realizing that if he would do this, God was promising to respond in a particular way. It's a very important principle, and that's that the power of resurrection is with God, but the process of resurrection involves us. Let me say it again. Only God can turn dead bones and bring them back to life again, correct? That's a miracle. And God could have very easily done the miracle by just causing the dead bones to come to life, but instead he involved Ezekiel in the process. He said, there's some things I want you to say. And so the power of resurrection, bringing dead things back to life again, is with God. But the process of resurrection involves our mouth. It involves things that we say. And actually, Ezekiel activated God's power by speaking to that which was dead as though it were alive. This is not the only place in the Bible where we see an example of this nature. Abraham had to learn this lesson as well. Let me tell you a little bit about Abraham's story. When God called Abram, he was initially called Abram. He was 75 years of age, and God called him out of Ur of the Chaldees and said, I'm going to take you to a new nation. I'm going to take you to a new place. I'm going to make a nation out of you. You're going to have an heir. You're going to have a minute. I mean, in fact, the population of this nation that I will form will be so great, they'll be like the the grains of sand in the seashore. You'll not be able to count them. And so Abraham follows God. He has this promise that he's going to have a son, but he waits and he waits and he waits, and nothing happens. He starts the process with God at 75, and by the time he's 99, still nothing has happened. And he gets to this place where he is 99 years of age, and his body is, if you will, dead. He has no capacity for human reproduction at this point in time. It's an impossibility that Abraham would ever be able to have a child, humanly speaking, and the same was true for his wife, Sarah. She was now at the place that she could no longer, there was no, no possibility of her bearing children at all. And so they're now as good as dead when it comes to the issue of, 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 of reproduction. Let me take you down to Romans chapter 4, and let's see what the Bible says about Abraham and how he processed this and handled it in his life, because you'll see that it's very similar to what Ezekiel did. 
God promised Abraham and his descendants that he would have an heir who would reign over the world. The royal promise was not fulfilled because Abraham kept all the law, but through the righteousness it was transferred by faith. Verse 18 says, against all odds, when it looked hopeless, Abraham believed the promise and expected God to fulfill it. He took God at his word, and as a result, he became the father of many nations. God's God's declaration over him, notice God's declaration, God's word over him came to pass. Your descendants will be so many that they will be impossible to count. In spite of being nearly 100 years old, when the promise of having a son was made, his faith was so strong that that it could not be undermined by the fact that he and Sarah were incapable of conceiving a child. He never stopped believing God's promise, for he was made strong in his faith to father a child, and because he was mighty in faith and convinced that God had all the power needed to fulfill his promise, Abraham glorified God. So here's the situation in Abraham's life where there was this impossible possibility, but he begins, he continues to speak God's promise in the face of an impossibility. Ezekiel does the very same thing. He begins to prophesy God's promise, God's word over that which was dead in both situations. Life was a result of the declaration and the believing of God's promise. So here's God telling Ezekiel, speak forth my word. And listen to this, very important. The miracle, listen closely, the miracle didn't happen until Ezekiel started speaking. The miracle did not happen until Ezekiel engaged his language because the miracle power involves a miracle process. It involves us engaging the process with God, learning to speak his word, and when we begin to speak his word, he begins his work. This is why learning to speak God's word and proclaim God's word in your life is so very valuable. It is the reason that I provided for you this resource called Unleashed because in this book you have 25 declarations over your life that are consistent with God's word and backed up by each of these 25 declarations or scriptures and what you need to begin to do in your life is proclaim what God says about you, what God says about your circumstances, what God says about your future, what God says about your life because when you begin to speak what God says, you now are engaging your mouth in the process of releasing God's power to work in you. See, you can't just expect God to work unless you begin to speak in agreement with him. Are you hearing me? Okay. That's why this little book is so valuable because it gives you a practical pathway to begin to get on a journey so you start speaking God's word in your life. It's so, so extremely important because there's miracle power, but the miracle power is released by a process by the speaking and believing of God's word. So that's the beginning point because the tongue is where you find the power of life and death. Number two, the second thing, miracles often unfold gradually and they require persistence. This is the part we don't like. Most people want a miracle yesterday. I want my miracle and I want it now. I want something to change in my life and I want it to happen really, really quickly. But many of the miracles that you'll see in Scripture when it comes to God dealing with people involves not only a process of speaking and believing, but, but some time. There's, you have to engage over a period of time. Let me take you back to verses 7 through 10 of Ezekiel 37. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I was prophesying, that's an ongoing process, I was engaged in this journey, as I was prophesying, 
morning, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, son of, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied. I continued this journey. I continued prophesying as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. What I want you to see is that this miracle did not happen just in one fell swoop. It happened in stages. There were multiple stages in the process. So Ezekiel begins to speak, and then the bones start rattling, and he continues to speak, and and, and tendons start appearing, and he continues to speak, and and, and then all the sinews begin to come together. He he continues to speak, and the skin shows up on them, and then he continues to speak, and, and and the wind, the breath comes into them, and finally they come up what was dead alive again, but it involved a process of continuing to speak God's word. You have to keep on speaking. A lot of people will say, you know, well, pastor, I started that, that confession of God's word in my life and, and nothing changed, nothing changed. How did long did you, well, I tried it for three days. I tried it for a week. No, no, you can't. This is the kind of thing you need to set your life on this pattern. It needs to be something that you do, not just while we're in this series, but it's something that you do for the rest of your life that you begin to say, this is how I'm going to view my life. This is how I'm going to change my language. I'm going to speak this way, not just for a period of time, but I'm going to make this the journey of my life. And that's where miracles really transpire because so often we give up far too soon. Well, I prayed for my marriage and nothing changed. I prayed for my finances and nothing changed. I prayed for whatever that dead thing is in your life and it seems like nothing changed, but you've got to keep the process going. Continue to declare God's word. Do not give up. Why? Because miracles, listen closely, miracles require perseverance. You have to pray through to the breakthrough. You have to stay with the process until, until God begins, because there, there are issues that have to be broken through over a period of time, and it's not just a simple thing. So when you get on the journey with God, listen, stay on the pathway. Don't you give up. Don't quit. Don't say, it hasn't worked for me yet. What you need to do is just stay in the journey, because I promise if you'll stay on the pathway, you'll find your way to your miracle. It may not always look like you think it's going to look, but you'll find your way to the breakthrough that God has in store for you. Let me give you another story about this in the book of 2 Kings. This story predates the story of Ezekiel. It's the story of the prophet Elisha, and Elisha served prior to the time of Ezekiel. Elisha is in his last years of ministry, one of the great prophets of Israel. Notice what happens when Elisha was in his last illness. King Jehoash of Israel visited him and wept over him. My father, my father, I see the chariots and charioteers of Israel, he cried. That is, this king, Jehoash, came to Elisha and said, I see that you're about to die. It's, it's about over with for you. And I'm, I'm basically asking for your blessing before you go. That's why he visited Elisha, the king did. Elisha told him, Elisha told the king, get a bow and, and some arrows. And the king did as he was told. Elisha told him, put your hand on the bow, and Elisha laid his own hands on the king's hands. Then he commanded, open that eastern window, and he opened it. Then he said, shoot. So he shot an arrow. Elisha proclaimed, this is the Lord's arrow, an arrow of victory over a ram, for you will completely conquer the Arameans at Aphek. Let me stop there for a moment. This king, Jehoash, was 
already contending with the, with the Syrians who were trying to invade Israel at this time, and he was concerned about this, so he knows that Elisha is going to die, and so he goes to Elisha for some words of encouragement and, and help and blessing before Elisha passes, and Elisha looks at him and says, what I want you to do before I die, I want you to grab this bow and arrow, and I want you to, I want you to pull that, bow, that, that arrow back in the bow, I'm going to put my hands over you, let's open the eastern window, I want you to shoot that arrow, because this is the Lord's arrow, and it's going to show that you're going to have a victory over the Arameans. I promise you God's going to be with you and give you victory. And this shooting of the arrow is a statement of faith of what God is going to do. And so this was this process of promise that was being given to this king. Now let's continue the story here. We'll continue in verse number seven, uh, verse number 18. Then he said, now pick up the other arrows and strike them against the ground. So the king picked them up and struck the ground. How many times? Three times. Circle that phrase, three times. Very important statement. So here's the story. They shoot the arrow out the eastern window, and God says, okay, you're going to have a victory over the Arameans, king. You can trust me for that. And then Elisha said, pick up this, this, this bunch of arrows over here, and I want you to strike them on the ground. He didn't tell him how many times to strike them. He said, I want you to strike them on the ground. So the king, Jehoash, grabbed the, the arrows, and how many times did he strike them? How many? Three times. Boom, boom, boom. Three times, okay? And notice what happens next. But the man of God was angry with him. You should have struck the ground five or six times, he, he, he exclaimed. Then you would have beaten Aram until it was entirely destroyed. Now you will be victorious only three times. So he's telling him what, what the problem here is that you were not persistent enough. You were not willing to stay with the journey. You gave up too quickly. And some of us have the same kind of thing in our lives. We're facing a situation that is difficult and, and challenging and hard. And we say, okay, let me try that God promise thing. And we try it for a little, a little bit of time. And we, we sort of strike the arrow three times. And we don't see the full breakthrough. And God says, grab those arrows and strike them on the ground. Keep going until the victory comes. Because God does not want a partial victory for you. He wants a full victory for you. God does not want a partial resurrection. In fact, there is no such thing as a partial resurrection. God wants a full resurrection for whatever is dead in your life. He wants to bring it back to life for you again. Let me take you to the final point here today, a valuable, important point as we're wrapping up. Remember this. Remember that God specializes. Important word there. He specializes in turning dead things into living things. God has a specialty. Many times when you're sick, you, in particular dimensions of your body, you want to find a specialist that knows exactly how to deal with that particular condition. And while general medical training will give you an understanding across the board of certain aspects of the physical body, there's specialists that you will go to that deal with certain areas where you're concerned about something or have a particular disease. You need a specialist to help you with that. Well, I want you to know that God has many specialties, but one of God's specialties is turning dead things into living things. Why? Because God is life. God is the author of life. And there are lots of scriptures that remind us of this, 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 this specialty of God. Let me take you to John chapter 11, verse 25. I'll read it for you in a moment, give you the context here. Here's Jesus at the graveside or the tomb side of a man by the name of Lazarus, a very dear friend. His, his sisters were there, Martha and Mary, were there grieving because Lazarus has died. He's been in the tomb for four days. Not only is he dead, but he's also decaying by this time. And so it's a situation where Jesus is staring down death and decay. 
And Mary and Martha are there grieving over this death situation. And Jesus says to her in John eleven twenty five, I am the I am the resurrection and the life. That's who I am. Now, when you say that's who I am, then it means that's the essence of my nature. That's the essence of my character. I am. This is who I am. I know this is death right here, but I want you to know that I am. I am the resurrection and I am the life. That's who I am. Every place I go, I am resurrection. Every place I go, I am life. I specialize in resurrection. I specialize in life. And then, then he says, the one who believes in me will live even though they die. So he's saying, you've got to realize that life is found by faith in me. That when you put your faith in me, there is life there. Then in verses 43 and 44 of the same chapter, when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. So what you see there is Jesus did what he said he was going to do because he was who he said he was. See, Jesus does what he says he's going to do because he is who he says he is. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. And so Lazarus could not remain dead in the presence of the one who was the resurrection and the life. John, Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 17. Another story from the life of Jesus. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out. So we've got death there again, okay? The only son of his mother and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and he said, don't cry. Then he went up and touched the bier. They were carrying him on and the bearers stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, now again, he's talking to that which is dead. Just like Ezekiel talked to dead bones, Jesus is talking to a young man who is dead, and he says, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Folks, that is a miracle. Why? Because the one who is the resurrection and the life was present there in that situation. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us. They said, God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. What I want you to see again is this. In the presence of death, Jesus is life. In the presence of death with Lazarus, he was life. In the presence of death, in this situation that we see here with the, with, the, with the widow from Nain and her son that was dead, Jesus was life. In your dead situation, Jesus is life. Whatever is written dead, D-E-A-D, in your life, Jesus, when he steps in and you begin to declare and proclaim his word, what you're doing is you're inviting the one who is life into that situation because he indeed is life. He proved that he was life in Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 6, in his own situation, after his own crucifixion, he proved that he was the resurrection and the life. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. This is the tomb of Jesus. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? They, had, they were looking for a dead Jesus in a tomb. Because the last time they saw him, he was dead. 
D-E-A-D was written over Jesus. He died. He breathed his last breath. He gave up his spirit. He gave up the ghost on the cross. He was physically absolutely dead. Don't think that Jesus was just sleeping for three days. No, he was dead. Physically, he died. Why is this important to understand? Because if he wasn't dead, we don't have a resurrection, okay? And so if you're sleeping, you can wake up. But if you're dead, you got to come back to life, okay? So here's Jesus in this tomb. The last time they saw him and placed him there, he was dead. And now the angels looking at these two women say, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while you, he was still with you in Galilee. What I want you to see there is that death cannot hold Jesus. In the face of a death in Lazarus, life comes. In the face of the death of a young man who's, who's the son of the widow of Nain, life comes. In Jesus' own experience, death could not hold him. Why? Because he is the resurrection and the life. That in anything that is dead in your life, Jesus has the power to bring life to it. Jesus can bring life to a dead marriage. Jesus can bring life to dead finances. You might look at your finances and say, I'm never going to get out of debt. But you begin to do what God says and obey his word and begin to speak life over your finances. We've got people in this congregation who came to church, met Jesus, head over heels in debt, and now they're out of debt. Why? Because Jesus took their dead situation and brought life to it because Jesus, when he arrives, he always brings life. But you've got to cooperate with the process. You've got to engage in the journey. And many of you can look at dead places in your own life that when you met Christ and came to him, you were dead in your emotions. You were dead in certain areas of your life. But Jesus has brought life to you. Why? Because he is life. He cannot not give life. Life is where he is. Romans 8 verse 11. And if the spirit of him, talking of Jesus, the spirit of God, the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in You, he who raised Christ from the dead, will also give, will give what? Life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. In other words, Paul said, if the same spirit that lived in Christ lives in you, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead... He who raised Christ from the dead will quicken, will give life to your mortal body because of that same spirit living in you. And so because the Holy Spirit lives in you and me, life lives in us. Life conquers death. First Corinthians 15, this is the last passage I'll share with you today. Now I tell you this, Paul writes, my brothers and sisters, flesh and blood are not able to inherit the kingdom, God's kingdom realm. Neither will that which is decaying be able to inherit what is incorruptible. Listen, I will tell you a divine mystery. Not all of us will die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in an instant, in the twinkling of his eye. For when the last trumpet is sounded, the dead will come back to life. We will be indestructible and we will be transformed. For we will discard our mortal clothes and slip into a body that is imperishable. What is mortal now will be exchanged for immortality. And when that which is mortal puts on immortality... And what now decays is exchanged for that for what will never decay. Then the scripture will be fulfilled that says death is swallowed up by a triumphant victory. 
So death, tell me, where is your victory? Tell me, death, where is your sting? It is sin that gives death its sting and, it is, and the law that gives sin its power. But we thank God for giving us the victory as conquerors through our Lord Jesus, the anointed one. Paul says, even in the face of physical death, even in the face of physical death, you've got to realize that even in physical death, that's not the end. In physical death, for the believer in Jesus Christ, there is continuing life. I want to tell you today, it's extremely important. I mentioned this last week, but I want you to get this deeply established in your heart that in any realm of your life, any realm of your life where the enemy has written D-E-A-D across that area, Jesus is able to bring L-I-F-E to it. Okay? Whatever is dead, Jesus is able to bring life to it. And even in the face of physical death, your physical death really isn't a death because your physical death is simply a transfer of address. That's all it is, okay? That when you leave this life, you step into another life of etern eternity with Christ. Because the sting of death has been removed because Christ has already conquered death. Amen? And when we're in Christ, just like Christ conquered death, we are conquerors of death as well because we have eternal life in Christ. It's extremely valuable to realize that Jesus called you not to live in death, but Jesus calls you to live in life. I'll conclude by reminding you of John 10 verse 10. We talked about it last weekend. weekend. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. But I want you to notice the last phrase of that. Jesus said, but I came so that you might have life and have it to the full. Jesus wants to bring life to the dead areas of your life. But you've got to speak life over those areas. Begin to take God's word. Use that little resource that we gave you that's available for you in the Unleashed book. That'll get you started in the process. Begin to speak life over every area of your life. And what will happen is you'll begin to see the dead bones start to rattle around in your life. You'll see, my goodness, look at what God is doing. If you'll stay with the process and, and tendons and, and sinew and flesh will appear and life will come back into that which was dead. Jesus is the resurrection. Jesus is the life. Would you bow your heads together with me as we pray? Father, thank you so much this morning for your word. We're grateful for the word of God, how it reminds us of the power of life and the importance of us engaging with you in the process of speaking life. And I pray this morning that you would help, this, help us to grab hold of this message, let it become real in our lives. Help us to become proclaimers of your word. Let us learn the language of heaven. And Lord, as we look at the dead bones that are all around us at times, we pray that you would also help us to speak your word over those deadened areas, knowing that, Lord, you're the one that brings life back again as we co cooperate persistently and persevering in the process with you. Thank you for the miracles that are on the way as we do this. We thank you for it in Christ's name. I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me, and I'm going to give you a prayer to pray. And you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out, and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God, and I promise you that He will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of His name. Say, Jesus. I know that, that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. 
Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out, and you become a new creation. All things pass away. All things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. Your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. And you begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to church-redeemer.org slash a new you. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.